Welcome to episode number 41 of the Sleep Whisperer podcast and I'm speaking with my dear friend and colleague Dana Frost. Dana is a wellness expert. She's a body, mind and spirit alchemist who educates and coaches women towards optimal health so that they can enjoy vibrant lives with the people they love and fulfill their mission in life. Dana has a lifelong commitment to continuing education, including certifications as a master life coach, aromatherapist, heart math facilitator, Myers-Briggs facilitator, light therapist, and functional nutrition and lifestyle practitioner. Dana's rich life experiences include navigating the challenges and joys as a mom, to her five children, 30 years of marriage and living abroad for 10 years to empower her coaching practice. We're talking about how to use sleep as a barometer for emotional and physical health. How do our emotions impact our sleep? How can we use our breath to improve our sleep? How can we track sleep and would it be beneficial to track it? Is there an ideal time to go to sleep? Are there negatives to sleeping pills? What are alternatives to sleeping pills? And is there a way to calm the mind to improve sleep? Dana also takes us to a short guided heart math breath session right at the end of the session. If you've been enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the world to me. You can also reach out to me at deepa.fightothrive.com sharing your thoughts, questions, comments, anything else really. And if you want more after listening to the episode, you could just reach all the wonderful guests by clicking the extensive links in the show notes and subscribe to our newsletter at www.fightothrive.com. Take a listen to episode number 41 of the Sleep Whisperer podcast with my dear friend Dina. To the Sleep Whisperer podcast. I'm your host, Deepa. Join me and my many expert guests and medical professionals from the cutting edge science of functional medicine of the West and ancient wisdom of the East. Learn all about how to discover your root causes of poor sleep and understand the proper tools and techniques to end your confusion and begin getting a good night's sleep. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey with the Sleep Whisperer Podcast. Dana, it's great to have you on the show today and it's always a pleasure to have a colleague and a friend and exciting to share 
discuss the space where I'm sure I'll be interrupting you pretty much right through to ask you more questions and what we're talking about today. And today we are really discussing sleep as a barometer for emotional and physical health. And I was quite fascinated by this choice of topic. Uh, and I hadn't actually come across anyone else who's mentioned it in this way. So uh, would you say that sleep has been a um, subject of priority in your practice? And how did you actually make sleep? Uh, not everybody brings a lot of attention to sleep for sure, even in the healthcare space. I do come across a lot of people where sleep is just another thing piece of the puzzle, but it's not given the importance that it truly deserves in resolution of symptoms and conditions. So I'd like to talk a little bit about your times of poor sleep. Mm -hmm. so did you ever struggle with sleep challenges? And especially I do notice that women are a lot more vulnerable, both to the lack of sleep causing them symptoms as well as being uh, troubled by various aspects that then mess up their sleep. So did it impact your health as a woman? And uh, when did you struggle with sleep? Yeah, well, Deepa, I want to say thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm such a fan of yours. And it is a pleasure to be here with you and to, to um, chat about this very important subject of sleep. Um, you know, I sleep became a priority for me when I had, for the first time in my life, my own problems with sleep. And I was in my mid 40s and I had a health crisis. Um, I actually have a pacemaker. So I had bradycardia. Uh, my heart was beating 36 beats per minute. And, um, you know, that was a crisis that caused me to be more introspective about the other things going on in my life. Um, I knew that several years prior to this health crisis, I wasn't sleeping like I had slept my entire life. So from, I never had a sleep issue, not in my teenage years, not as even, you know, when I was raising my children, my work life, I never had, I always fell asleep easily and I woke up rested. And I found myself in my 40s, waking up in the middle of the night, unable to go to sleep. I had anxiety in the middle of the night and never had experienced anxiety before. I didn't have it during the day. It was just in the middle of the night, I would wake up wide awake, you know, with this feeling of anxiety and unable to put myself back to sleep. And I, I really, I didn't have the training that we have together, the functional nutrition training. So I really didn't. I, I really didn't understand it. I just lived with it. And um, it was through my education and through this health crisis that I began to dig deeper into what were the possible root causes of this middle of the night waking. And as I began to dig deeper, I learned more. And, um, you know, it was, it was really through that process that it became a priority for me. And as I as it became a priority for me and I learned more, I began to make it a, I knew it had to be a priority in my work with my clients. That's amazing, Dana. And I know you have five kids, which I simply cannot imagine. And I can't so, either. 
<laughs> and it's so interesting that you said that sleep never troubled you during those years because that's the majority uh, most women struggle with i've had so many of them tell me mm-hmm. when i first started the podcast and there were some episodes and some of them wrote to me saying that you're talking about sleep doesn't help me in any way you need to first tell me how can i get my baby to sleep which is why i then did an episode on babies and sleep uh so that's interesting for sure that you didn't struggle during uh, five kids is more than many many handfuls well that's really interesting that you bring that up deepa because my husband and i So three children are biological and so obviously we had them from birth. Three two were adopted at ages 3 and 5. So um for those biological children it's controversial but we really believe that's that babies need to sleep and so we just um train them to go to bed to have a sleep rhythm. And so our kids always I mean not when they're babies babies that's different when they're babies babies but we had a bedtime and we were very rhythmic with um the bedtime of our children and and you know with soothing them and being with them they quickly you know i would say um as of like 3 months old they easily moved into this rhythm of sleeping sleeping 12 hours a night so i didn't have the disruption that a lot of um parents have when their <laughs> children are young Hmm. Interesting because I do I did an entire episode on this on this whole setting rhythm for babies which is a controversial subject for sure because this whole it's torn into two whether there's mommies who believe that you have to run to your baby and then there's mommies who believe you shouldn't run at all even if it's your baby's crying and you have to allow them to self soothe so that's another topic altogether it is another topic yeah. mm-hmm. but i do um, i do appreciate that you shared about setting the rhythm for all your kids because i've also firmly believed that children shouldn't really cross 7 or 8 p and i've set a gentle rhythm but we've never gone out of it and they get used to it so beautifully uh it's not that you have to force them to go to bed so i know that we have a lot to talk about today so i want to jump into that uh and we are going to talk about emotions we're going to talk a little bit about the dangers of sleeping medication so how do emotions play a role in sleep because i personally feel that and you spoke about anxiety peaking at night and i also firmly believe because there's such a large section of people who are uh, struggling with low levels of anxiety almost perpetually that can prevent mm-hmm. the ability to even fall asleep so talk to us about mm-hmm. emotions and the role they play in your ability to both fall asleep and stay asleep mm-hmm. yeah so um our emotions are tied into our heart rate variability so this is what i learned with my pacemaker implant and i started exploring the role of heart rate variability on our health and how emotions are connected to that so um this comes from the work and the research of HeartMath Institute and um when we are experiencing anxiety that elevates the heart rate variability 
when we are experiencing um, worry that elevates heart rate variability. So heart rate variability, it is the, the uptick and the downtick on an electrocardiogram. Mm -hmm. So you're moving between parasympathetic, which is slowing down and sympathetic, which is speeding up. So you can imagine if your heart rate is speeding up, it's going to be very challenging to go to sleep. Yes. So, you know, we have different sleep issues, right? Falling asleep is one sleep issue, waking up in the middle of the night, um, waking up and you're fatigued. There are many different ways that challenges that people have around sleep. So um, heart rate variability and your emotional state definitely impacts sleep because the body needs to be in parasympathetic mode to have restful sleep. And so there are ways that we can use our breathing pattern to one, calm the heart rate variability and also soothe emotions that are in the sympathetic mode or the increased heart rate variability. So when you're having emotions impact sleep because emotions impact heart rate variability. Mm -hmm. I wanna ask you two questions before we go further into breath. One is can, what are some of the emotions that you would describe as signs of sympathetic dominance? Oh, that's a great question. Um, rage, anger, frustration, anxiety, worry, um, fear, anything where you feel the racing, where you feel the um, everything tense up. Mm. When everything tenses up and it's almost like you're putting your foot on the gas of a car. That's sympathetic. We can have emotions that are parasympathetic that also down-regulate um, sleep. Actually, they, they might like depression, anything that decreases the heart rate, or it's almost like you're putting the brakes on where you just don't have the energy in your system to move forward. Things like depression, sadness, um, grief, overwhelm mm. right. can also impact your sleep because, right, if you're sleeping too much, but it's not restorative, right. if then you're, you're not having the restorative sleep that you need. If you have you know, if you have the kind of sleep from the, from the emotions that um, draw the heart rate down, you're, um, when you're sleeping, your body's not restoring itself and you wake up and you're still tired. Right. So Dana, just tell me before you tell me about how can breath actually help heart rate variability, is there a way that um, the difference in the length of the inhale and the exhale does that tell you something about what's going on if the inhale is short or the exhale is short <laughs> does that categorize sympathetic dominance or maybe so that somebody would know if perhaps um, their exhale was very short if that were a sign of sympathetic dominance then they would also be able to understand what's going on within them and then you can tell us also about how to actually use breath mm -hmm. Yeah. So when we, so what I, I like to have people track their breathing, their, their breath and just become very curious if it's, if it's short. So there are four qualities of a healthy breath. I think this is really important because these qualities help people um, track their own breathing pattern. So you, a healthy breath is slow, 
So that speaks to the fast. It's slow. Inhale, exhale is slow. It's regular. Inhale and exhale are roughly the same. It's quiet. Um, if we can hear, I don't know if you've ever heard another person breathing, you know, you're just standing next to them and you can hear their breath. It's, it is slightly disturbing. Um, and if they don't have any obstruction, you know, we do have, some people have deviated septums, they have an obstruction, they have a cold, that's something separate. But if it's, they're healthy and there's no obstruction, you can hear them breathing, the nervous system is incoherent. Mm. So you want the breath to be quiet, deep, and you want it to be deep. So when you want to feel your breath going in your nostrils, all the way down to your abdomen and in, inflating the abdomen on the inhale. So you can, you know, I have people put one hand on the chest, one hand on the abdomen, so they can feel is the chest raising mm. and it stops in the chest or is the abdomen raising? You want your abdomen to raise on the inhale. So it's deep, slow, quiet, regular. Those are the touch points that I like to give people to um, begin to track their breath. Uh, so would you have suggestions for a simple breath practice that we can begin to do right mm -hmm. away? Yeah, so the first I, I have my, my clients and myself years practicing this, I just inhale, exhale through the nose, deep, slow, quiet, regular. So, you know, you're, you can, the beauty is you're just driving your car, you're walking, you know, you're working and you just do a check-in. Is my breath deep, slow, mm. quiet, regular? That's the step one. And then when we move in beyond that, I like to just do the very simple first heart math breathing pattern. And it's a visualization. So physically, the breath is still deep, slow, quiet, regular. The visualization is that the breath flows to and from the heart center. Mm -hmm. When we visualize the breath flowing to and from the heart center, we're tapping into the electrical conduction of the heart. Mm. Your heart rate variability, it is the electrical conduction of your heart. So you're tapping into your energy or your central nervous system when you do this visualization. So if you just visualize the inhale and exhale is flowing to and from the heart center. I like to visualize waves. You can visualize a swing, you know, anything that flows back and forth, the inhale and exhale. Did you just feel that? Yes. I don't know if you can feel yes. everything just. Yes. In fact, I was going to add that um, in yoga, there's this belief that the heart is the emotional center. And uh, so I usually like mm -hmm. to have my clients feel as if they're breathing in calmness at the heart and breathing away mm -hmm. any tension from the heart and trying to feel as if they're restoring a sense of emotional balance to the heart center. So what mm -hmm. you said about visualizing, it was beautiful because I think you can just get caught. If you close your eyes at night before you go to bed and spend a few minutes, I think that's a powerful practice to really down-regulate and prepare yourself to fall into a state of deeper sleep. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm a firm believer in what you're saying. And I definitely mm -hmm. want to know a lot more about heart math from you, which we, we will talk about later. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but Dana, tell me in functional nutrition, we talk so much about tracker tools, tracking food, tracking mood, tracking poop, which in India has always received frowns when I ask clients mm. to do that. Uh, but they're great diagnostic uh, tools and they're right there in our hands. So you believe that sleep can be a great tool to assess what's going on as well. So talk to me about that. Yeah, I think that it's really important to track sleep because we know that the body restores itself when we sleep, when we have deep sleep, the body is restoring itself. So, you know, to be paying attention and tracking what's happening with our sleep, it is a diagnostic tool. Are we able to fall asleep easily? Do we wake up in the middle of the night? So if we're waking up in the middle of the night, these are things that, you know, we can assess with our clients. For instance, if it's like three o'clock in the middle of the night, typically there's probably a progesterone, potentially a hormonal issue, um, potentially the, an adrenal issue, which is hormonal. If we're not able to fall asleep, you know, tracking, okay, what are the thoughts coming up when I'm not able to fall asleep? And we can, you know, do I have an emotional reaction? Like I had anxiety. So um, that typically is more progesterone related when we wake up with anxiety. Um, so tracking, you know, how we're going to sleep, what's happening when we wake up in the middle of the night, what are the emotions and thoughts to really, because when we sleep, we're moving into unconscious mind. And so what are the unconscious patterns that we're not paying attention to or aware of when we're awake? Mm. Because we can, you know, we can, um, just set them aside and not pay attention to them. So I really believe Deepa, when we have these, um, this wakefulness at night, it's such an invitation to understand ourselves better. Yes, absolutely. And it shouldn't, it typically be when somebody cannot sleep or they're waking up, as you said, at specific times, it can become a source of stress and worry in itself, which then takes them into this vicious cycle of not being able to sleep the next night or worrying that they're going to wake up the next night, which is really counterproductive. So it's important that what you spoke about that maybe, you know, even if you wake up, don't stress about it, sit up and do the practice that you suggested about feeling the breath at the heart and calming down the mm -hmm. nervous system response. So I think it's very important the mental reframe to not get stressed about sleeplessness. And what you said about looking at it as a clue to figure out what's going on within in deeper levels. So that's great. Mm -hmm. And Dana, mm -hmm. I've spoken to so many people about uh, timing. So this has been such an, another interesting revelation that so many perspectives here and I'd love to catch yours as well because uh, do you believe that there's an ideal time? Do you believe the ideal time is when somebody feels ready to go? Can it be different ideal time for each person? Uh, so what are your thoughts on timing? Yeah, so I do believe there's some bio-individuality to the ideal time. Um, but I do believe that because we are nature, are, you know, as physical beings, we are a part of nature and nature has a rhythm and a, a, a cycle. And our nervous system is set to the 
this is what I believe, the sun and the moon mm-hmm. and light and dark. So I do believe that the body functions best when we honor the cycle of light and dark. And so when the sun comes up, it is the body's desire to rise and to be in sync with the light pattern. And then as it gets dark, this is why, you know, for ideal sleep, we need to um, sync the nervous system. So the nervous system begins to slow down as it gets darker. So the ideal time would be, you know, when it's dark, you're going to sleep and you're not um, gearing up, you know, after dark time, you know, it's Mm -hmm. nine o'clock and your system is gearing up and it's dark and you're like, oh, I'm ready to go. And then you go, go, go until 12. That will work. It works for people I find when they're younger and then it really comes back and causes health issues when they reach 40s, 50s. Yes, absolutely. So I do believe there's an ideal time. I can't, I, I, I hesitate to say it's 10 a.m. Like our teacher pretty much says it's 10, 10 p.m., excuse me, 10 p.m. Um, I hesitate to say that there's some, again, bio-individuality, but I do believe it's, it's when it's dark and it's, you need, you know, it's, it's not midnight, it's dark at midnight. I do believe it's earlier, you know, like it is around 10 p.m., but it is a little different for everyone. I agree with you, Dana, and I'm quite... Uh... Um, I would say very, very tough with my clients and I'm always pulling them back. I don't care if it's nine hours of sleep, but if it's going to be from one in the morning and plus nine, it just doesn't give you the restoration that your body needs, especially if you're trying to overcome more complex health challenges. So I'm totally with you upon that. Um Here's another thing that I see very often here, and I was surprised that it's happening so rampantly, is that uh, this uh, very casual approach about sleeping pills and uh, sometimes uh, Mm self-medicated or sometimes prescribed by a doctor for a short term, maybe it's during a period of stress, but then somebody's gone on for the next 10 years uh, there's also people I've heard joke about things that uh, don't, why are you stressing about sleep? And I go to bed every night. I just have a nightcap of alcohol and then I have my sleeping pill, which sounds amazingly disturbing to me. What are your thoughts on sleeping medication? And do you feel that there is a place for them? Are there dangers to them? Talk to us a little bit about their dangers. And also let's talk a little bit about uh, some potential, um, something instead of sleeping medication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am sure that I hold your position on that. I do think that um, those medications are disruptive to our microbiome. Um, they, I think reaching for the sleeping pill as the first answer to solve a sleep issue, it sidesteps this curiosity about what's going on. So it's, it's a, I believe it's a Band-Aid and it just completely um, ignores what might be going on that needs to be restored and repaired. So um, yeah, um, just trying to think through, I just, I think that they are, you know, they cause more disruption long-term 
if you continue because you're ignoring those symptoms. And if you're going to use a nightcap, which it's very common in the US too, you're also spiking your blood sugar levels, right. which isn't good. So you're, you're tampering down what wants to be seen by you. Your body is speak, I believe the body speaks to us and it has a language. The body's trying to communicate with us when we're not sleeping well and it's asking us for something. It's not asking for a Band-Aid, it's asking for healing. And so the sleeping pill is just a Band-Aid. It's not, it's not getting to the root cause of the issue. You know, can you use something temporarily I would go for, you know, something like melatonin, something a little more gentle. I would go for herbs that are going to add to the internal system and restoration instead of sidestep it. So what are your thoughts about melatonin? Do you feel that anybody can start melatonin? Have you found any uh, time where it hasn't worked for somebody in particular? Is there a dosage that you begin with? Very, I so very small, like one milligram, very small dosage, go slow um, and just see. And the only time that it hasn't worked is when people have, you know, some really deep emotional issues and they're asking to be seen as well. And so again, then melatonin, it's almost, it's also like tampering something down and the body saying, no, pay attention to me. Mm. pay attention to me. So, um, and, and again, it depends. What is it that the body is needing? Is it the melatonin or is it maybe passion flower? Is it a combination? Is it lemon balm? You know, it, there can be many different reasons, you know, different root causes for the sleep disturbance. And so it's really helpful to maybe work with an herbalist or somebody who can look a little more closely into what the body might be needing. I'm fascinated by what you said, Dana, about the lemon balm and the passion flowers. I'm going to stop you and ask you to go a little bit deeper into that. Is there a way that you've used that? Is it essential oils? Is, do you have a particularly uh, favorite way of using some of these? Yeah, so I the passion flower, um, I use just as and just a few drops again people we're all very we all respond differently so you just want to do you know a few drops and, and just see I find that's really helpful with hormonal disturbance sleep disturbances mm. um, lemon balm I like to use in very gentle tea forms there's a tea we have in the U.S. called kava stress tea mm. and it has a combination of herbs that are you know so a tea at night so you imagine you just take this very gentle tea in the evening that's a blend of herbs. Again, it's calming the physical body, it's calming the nervous system. Having a cup of tea is also very calming to the nervous system. So that's- And I think a lot of people, especially women, relate uh, the tea time to me time. So it's a space for themselves. It's a very, I know so many women who've told me that's the time I actually sit down with myself. And it's a time where I really cherish that. So that's a great, and you don't really typically think about tea uh, as a evening ritual. So that's a great uh, way to help mm -hmm. sleep as well. So tell me mm -hmm. about, um, what are some of the other ways that you feel 
people can use to calm down their mind to actually help sleep because there's so much i believe what you said you, in fact everything you spoke about today has uh, its depth in the nervous system function which is so critical to sleep so uh, calming down is definitely integral to falling asleep so talk to us a little bit about some of the other practices that you would suggest to calm down mhm mm So one of my favorites is an Epsom salt bath. Mm. Because that you dip your with some essential oils with lavender, dip yourself in an Epsom salt bath and the whole system it enters through the skin, the whole system calms down. So that's one way. Um I like different poses. So legs up the wall before you go to bed, mm. I think is very restorative, calms the nervous system down. um there are a few poses that i suggest to my clients there one is called um the calming crossover so you take your arms and you cross them and you hold opposite armpits with your palms of your hands and you cross your ankles mm. this is calming crossover this calms the nervous system this is, is a really uh, sitting down or lying down it either way but when you know typically when you're going to bed you might do this when you're going to bed when you're lying down can be done when you wake up in the middle of the night um another pose besides that is you know what i felt dena when you spoke about this pose i feel that it makes you feel safe uh, okay. which i think is very Uh, it's a key aspect of falling asleep to feel safe and feel like you can trust the space around you and what you just described made, made me feel safe for that few moments so which is a key a key way to fall asleep mm -hmm. during the years that my nervous system was really ignited and triggered um i learned this pose from an energy practitioner and it really like i went through a period where i had to nap every day Mm -hmm. and i every time i lay down i placed myself in this pose and it did make me feel safe it's very very true it made me feel mm -hmm. safe it calmed everything down and then i just moved into my breath so you know that's it's really the first thing we have at our in our toolbox is just get in our body physically use a pose and then use the breath mm -hmm. then you're sinking the nervous system and the body together through the breath wonderful so is there uh, do you suggest that somebody stays in this for a few minutes if they are sitting up in bed and just for maybe sit there and focus on calming down their breath yeah if they can stay um lying down i would stay lying down in bed and um i would just a few minutes i always held it much longer i just wow. held it as and allow the body to calm down nice so dina i'm going to body, try i'm going to try this tonight and i'm going to spend several minutes doing this thank you for that tool and i'm so yeah. excited as if i'm a child in a toy shop <laughs> <laughs> that's lovely yeah it is a, it it is it's a hug it's a self hug it is it is soothing self soothing which is so important as well because mm -hmm. i think a large section of the population who struggles with sleep issues definitely have trauma at the root at some some stage of their life they've had 
uh, high levels of impact on the nervous system and the adrenal function. That's why anxiety is so high and that's why I speak so much in so many episodes about anxiety. So I'd love mm-hmm. for you to, before we um, get to the end, just to walk us through a five-minute or a 10-minute practice that we can all do at night before we actually fall asleep, which will uh, help us to not feel anxious in the middle of the night. So what would that nighttime ritual look like? Mm -hmm. So no screen time, I guess. (laughs) Be really mindful about your screen time in the evening as it gets dark. And um, I would say have a cup of tea. I think that's, I have a cup of tea every night. Um, There, again, there are different teas that I reach for, as I mentioned. And um, I, you know, I would get into bed and I would, or I would do legs up the wall. I would get my body in a physical pose, like we mentioned, legs up the wall or calming crossover. And I would turn myself, you know, turn my attention to my breath if, if anxiety is an issue, there's a very specific breath to calm anxiety. So maybe I should share that. Yes, please. Yeah. So the, the rhythm to calm anxiety is you're inhaling to four counts and you hold for five counts and then you exhale to eight counts. What I want to say about that, Deepa, is that we're, you know, when we go to bioindividuality, some people it's stressful on their nervous system to hold, to inhale to four and to hold the five. So I really like to tune in to each person's nervous system. Maybe for them it's inhale two, hold four, exhale five. Because we have to, we need to retrain the nervous system to calm down. And when we're doing this breath, the anxiety reducing breath, we want to be really careful we're not igniting the nervous system or triggering it. Mm. So ideally it's inhale four, hold five. So you see that inhale and you hold one more breath extra, and then you exhale double the amount that you inhale. Okay. So, and you do that sequence, you do it four times, you repeat that four times, and then you just breathe normally. You do that whole sequence times four. Mm. Inhale four, hold five, exhale eight, repeat that four times, breathe naturally, repeat it again, and you do that four times. Um, But I can, I'm happy to walk us through just some inhale and exhale with some heart math, if that is helpful because yes, yes, this is another really yeah. yeah so let's just begin you know we're all breathing let's draw the um breath so that it's deep slow quiet and regular deep slow quiet and regular the four qualities of a regular breath Visualize the inhale and exhale to flow to and from the heart center. Inhale and exhale flowing to and from the heart center. I want you to remember a time that you felt calm. 
Okay, so remember a very specific memory when you felt calm and bring that memory up into all of your senses. And then I want you to visualize the feeling of calm flowing to and from the heart center. With that memory alive in all of the senses, alive in all of your cells, and the calm flowing to and from the heart center. Calm flowing to and from the heart center. Allowing the, the feeling of calm to flow to and from the heart center. All the while the breath is deep, slow, quiet and regular. And then, you know, this is it. And the beauty of heart math, we had our eyes closed, but the real beauty of heart math is that it can be used, to, your eyes don't have to be closed. You know, if you're, let's say you're using that technique and you're not getting ready for bed, maybe you're, you know, maybe you're feeling anxious if in the middle of the day, but you're in a crowd of people. And let's say you're at the market, you're in the crowd of people, you feel anxious, you just draw, you know, you deep, slow, quiet, regular, you draw in a memory. And I used calm because that was the, that's the feeling that you suggest to your clients, but it can be any memory where you were experiencing an emotion that was fueling to your system, like peace, joy, love, confident, courageous. You draw in that memory with the feeling and have it flow to and from the heart center and it shifts your nervous system. It literally physiologically shifts the nervous system. Mm, that was beautiful, Dana. So I think I'm going to play out this section for myself a few times. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, it's amazing that when you spoke about that, my mind instantly dug out an old memory of calmness in that yeah. one second. And we don't really think about that. I think when you just go into that so suddenly, it just it's always there. We have those memories as well, even if there are other the memories of trauma or pain there's always pockets of these buried somewhere which we can rely on as tools for ourselves mm -hmm. yeah that's so important Deepa because we are not a slave to emotions that are depleting yes we actually through what we focus on is going to expand so if we bring our mental attention to these memories that were fueling we actually are the ones who control what the feelings are. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Dana, I want to honor your time, but it was beautiful having you here yeah. today. I might just call you back at some point for another episode. But before I let you go, just want to check about 
uh, I believe that there's so many people with sleep challenges and there's millions who are diagnosed and several more who don't really diagnose, but they are suffering, they are struggling, they don't think that it's um, important that they address that. So that's my mission to get the message out that sleep is really a very big priority to health. In your eyes, what would you think was the biggest root cause of poor sleep in the age that we're living in today? One root cause. It's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard to think of just, just pick one. One day now, just pick one. Yeah. Um, let's see. I think it's a dysregulated evening schedule. Mm. Where the rhythm in the evening doesn't match, it doesn't support the nervous system calming down. Right. It, it's it's asking the nerve, our, our routine in the evening is asking the nervous system to speed up in, instead of calm down and prepare for sleep. That's so important. And I think this is the first time I've heard that because a lot of times I hear stress. So it's very interesting to hear then this, what you're saying is that we can do something about that right away. Even if stressors don't change, even if situations don't change, life doesn't change, but we do have the tools to set our own evening routine and to help us in this ability to fall asleep. Yeah, uh, you know, we're looking for things outside of ourselves, whether it's yes. a pill, and it, the answers are all internally. Yes, absolutely. It was great having you, Dana. And before we conclude, you need to finish the Sleep Whisperer Mantra. If sleep is the new medicine, then let's get your take on it. If sleep is the new um, medicine, then we, all, we, we need to make sleep a priority. Yes, sleep absolutely. has to become a part. We, we, I, I know this from myself and clients. We will not heal until sleep becomes a priority. Absolutely. It's like a spiritual law. It's a spiritual law, period. Yes. So everybody listening in today, remember making sleep a priority is your spiritual law. And Dana, mm -hmm. pleasure to have you with me today. And I really loved our conversations. Definitely one of my favorites. Um, so thanks for being here. Thanks for giving us your time and um, love and light to you, Dana. Thank you so much, Deepa. Love and light to you too. It's such a pleasure to be in conversation with you. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed the show. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. This is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a medical practitioner. Please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with your doctor or otherwise qualified healthcare professional. 
it is in no way intended as medical advice as a substitute for medical counseling or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition be sure to always work directly with a qualified health practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding if you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com or www.sleepwhisperer.pro it is important that you have someone who's qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care especially when it comes to chronic health conditions Thank you.